everybody, and welcome to episode number 38 of Glass City Game Time, one of America's great sports podcasts, brought to you, as always, by The Blade. My name is Corey Christen, and thanks for listening, as always. We appreciate you checking us out, whether you do so on ToledoBlade.com, on Blade News Slide, or on one of the various podcast outlets that we are available on each week. We took a break last week for the 4th of July holiday, and we here at The Blade hope that you had a happy and safe 4th holiday. This week, we bring a double feature of sorts to kind of make up for that fact. And this week, we bring a absolutely sensational interview with a nationally renowned columnist. She is a Toledo native, a product of Ottawa Hills. She is Christine Brennan. Christine is a columnist for the USA Today. She does commentary for CNN. She's worked on ABC News for PBS NewsHour, NPR. She is a best-selling author. She's worked all over the country covering sports in Miami, in Washington, and even as an intern here at The Blade in Toledo. And Christine joins me to talk about some of the heavier topics that have dawned onto the sports world as of late. Obviously, the coronavirus pandemic hitting its second wave, so to speak, here in the United States, and the sports world is slowly starting to get back into things. We've seen golf pick up, NASCAR pick up, We've seen soccer, now baseball's back in camp, basketball's back in camp, and we talk about sports' return as the coronavirus pandemic is ongoing. We also talk about some of the heavier racial issues in sports. Christine covered the Washington Redskins for the Washington Post back in the 80s, and we talk about the latest debates around the logo and the nickname. The team is now being pressed, so to speak, to get rid of the nickname. Christine and I talk about that and also about the Cleveland Indians and how the organization is looking into the name change. We also talk about some of the racial issues that have now surrounded the sports world in a heavier context. We talk about Bubba Wallace and NASCAR and the banning of the Confederate flag. We talk about the Black Lives Matter protests and the Black Lives Matter movement that has taken place in sports. And yes, we do get a little bit political here. Here on Glass City Game Time, we try to separate politics from sports a little bit, but there are times, it's no secret, that politics does bleed over into the sports world. So yes, Christine and I talk a little bit of the politics behind that, and one way or the other, we do share our own opinions on things, and my opinion is my opinion, her opinion is her opinion. Again, this is an absolutely necessary and absolutely sensational interview that we had with Christine, and we thank her for taking a good chunk of her day. We went about an hour over the phone, and quite honestly, we could have gone another hour. That's how great the conversation was. That's how deep we got into these issues, and I hope that you enjoy it. We bring you Christine Brennan this week on Glass City Game Time. Enjoy the interview, and I'll talk to you at the end of the podcast. Right now, with the pandemic going on and Really, the voices that are preaching racial injustice are finally starting to be listened to. Right now, there's this grand discourse going around with the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Indians and looking into name changes. So there's a lot of social aspects that are being brought to a bigger light in sports, but also with the pandemic. And that's really why 
we wanted to speak with you because you have such a broad knowledge of all of this stuff that's going on. And I listened to your hit from the other day on CNN with um, with LZ Granderson about the, as you would say, the Washington NFL team. Now that I guess FedEx kind of put the foot down on some stuff and really, let's be honest, money talks. What are your thoughts around the kicked up conversations now that we're seeing with the Redskins organization and the Indians organization working to change those team names and maybe kind of quell some of those rumblings that have been going on for a while now? It's a very, very interesting time, Corey. You're right. And, and uh, I'm honored to be able to, to cover it. And of course, honored to be also on your podcast. <laughs> the Blade was the first newspaper I ever read, grabbed the sports section as quickly as I could. I uh, couldn't wait for it to hit our doorstep. It was an afternoon paper when I was growing up. And, and uh, that was the only way you really read sports, you know, because there was no ESPN and no no internet and you no know, cell phones. And I think, you know, Abraham Lincoln was president. It seems like so long ago. But um, so it's an honor always. Uh, and as a Toledo uh, homeowner to this day and uh, our home and uh, we grew up in Ottawa Hills, I uh, still love, I get the blade and get the digital version and, and love reading it. So uh, thanks for the opportunity. And yes, mm-hmm. um uh, this is a, we are really at a watershed moment. And uh, this, in the midst of a pandemic and the cratering of our economy, you know, who thought we'd have uh, one more thing? And that, of course, uh, the, the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests that were triggered by the death, the murder of George Floyd on Memorial Day. And everything that has happened in the, what, six weeks since um, has, has been extraordinary. And I have always said that at some point the Washington NFL team name will change. Uh, I, I personally decided not to use the name anymore, the R word, <laughs> in uh, 2013. I covered the team back in the 80s when they actually won games <laughs> and won Super Bowls. Joe Gibbs, uh, Joe Theismann, Doug Williams, those were glory days in Washington. And I worked uh, at the Washington Post. I was the beat writer, and it was a great honor. So there's nothing but happy thoughts and also important, uh, an important time in my career, uh, toughened me up and greatest beat I most important beat I've ever covered in terms of interest in a city with the Washington Post and the and the readership and and uh, the TV work I started to do back then so uh, nothing but great thoughts it's not against the franchise it's not against anyone there at all it's not a vendetta it's not anything it's just that back in 2013 when I was uh, speaking to a group actually and and they said, well, tell us a little bit about yourself I'm looking into this uh, theater full of people and I started talking about I covered and I said the name uh, for three years. I covered the beat for the, the Washington Post. And I said the name. And I said, oh, my gosh, I stopped myself. I said, it's a terrible <laughs> name. Terrible name. Now, I, how many times did I said it? You know, tens of thousands of times it tripped off my tongue. And it, there was more reporting back then in 2013. That people were starting to talk about the issue. Why are we using this name? It's racist. Of course it's racist. And so that's for me when I wrote my first column saying it's time to change the name and I'm not using the name anymore. And so, you know, it's not easy to not to not say it here in Washington, D.C., but uh, I've done a pretty good job of just saying Washington NFL team. At one point we called the Washington Washington. I was doing a TV show. Another uh, colleague, Mike Wise, and I were both not say it, so we called them the RG3s for a while when RG3 was the quarterback, the Washington RG3s. We had some fun with it. We made fun of ourselves. We weren't making fun of this issue, but we were mocking ourselves for trying to come up with different names. Um, you know, it's not, I know people are listening and probably saying this is political correctness run amok. No, 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 no. No, this is a terrible name. Try explaining the name, the Washington name, the R word, uh, to a 12-year-old. Try. 
Try. Just just try if you're one of those people who still believes it exists. And here's another one, uh, Corey. Could any new franchise in any league, any sport, let's say we've got a new franchise starting somewhere in some sport, men's, women's, doesn't matter, and you're going to call that that franchise the R word, the you know the skins uh, mm-hmm. with the with the with the with the color attached. You couldn't do it. There's no league in the country that would allow that. So that really tells you all you need to know, in my humble opinion, about why it's time. And I thought it would happen in the next 10 or 20 years as younger generations uh, asserted themselves as young parents, someone who's 10 now when he or she is 30, trying to explain it to their kids, that they just say enough is enough. Um, and uh, But it's happened quicker. It's accelerated, of course, because of the tragedy of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and others, Ahmaud Arbery, and then, of course, also the, the protests and corporations. And for those, again, who might say, and I'm sure some are listening and, and are saying, you know, enough is enough with all of this craziness. Uh, well, I think we're all into cor- capitalism, right, and corporate mm-hmm. corporations getting to do what they want. I don't think anyone uh, held uh, uh, FedEx hostage to do this. I don't think anyone uh, locked uh, Bank of America, Nike, or PepsiCo in a closet, bound and gag them. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm just giving the analogy here, of course. So these are companies These are companies making their own decisions. So they're allowed to make their own decisions. And when they put so much pressure, in this case on Dan Snyder, the owner of the team who told my colleague Eric Brady seven years ago, never, use all caps, never are we going to change the name. Well, I guess this is the 12th of never, to quote the song, because all of a sudden um, it's, it's happening. And it's corporate pressure Money talks, as you mentioned, and also corporations have every right to make the decisions they make. And I can't imagine that anyone listening who would be angry about this would, would argue that point. So if a corporation decides to put pressure on, then so be it. That's the United States of America. And then Dan Snyder, as an owner and as a businessman, can make the decision if he wants to do it or not. Obviously, the pressure is so great he has to do it. Again, that's part of capitalism, and that's the voices of these, this younger generation in particular being heard um, and the Indians, um, it's different. It is not a racial slur, but it's time. Get rid of it. And also, for all of these, Kansas City Chiefs, if they go, Atlanta Braves, if they go, I'm guessing they will, the awful tomahawk chop, got to go. Uh, mm-hmm. Just terrible. Just terrible. Demeaning and grotesque. I'm embarrassed for everyone when I see it at the Atlanta Braves, Florida State Seminoles, and, of course, Kansas City Chiefs. Got to go. It's just it's just awful and um uh, and you don't have to be native a uh, native person to feel that way it's just it's, i'm embarrassed as i said for those people but um the last thought and a very long answer sorry but is that uh it is a complex topic is that again for the business side you know i'm all for business and all for capitalism um this is the opportunity to sell all the retro stuff you think in washington everyone won't want to won't want to go and buy up the last of the of the R word jerseys and all of that cool stuff that they want all the, for the family and, and uh, the hats and the, and the t-shirts. And then the minute they announce the new name, everyone's going to want to buy all that new stuff. Same with the Cleveland Indians. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to make more money on merchandise and uh, you have to trademark it. But once you do that, you've, you've, you've got a gold mine you're sitting on in both Cleveland and Washington. And I think again, um, you should be doing it for the right reasons because it's an awful name. But in this case, if you're doing it because of business, so be it. If it gets done, that's the important thing. Well, first off, no need to apologize for long answers. Your words mean more than mine here. When you mention the Washington team, 
And then you mentioned Cleveland, you mentioned Kansas City and Atlanta, racially charged names that we talk about here. I've worked in Youngstown. I work now in Toledo. I feel like I have a pretty decent pulse on the Cleveland Indians fan base. While there are a good number of people who, since the topic has flown around, that they're going to start looking into the name and looking into possibly changing it, there's been a good number of people who understand, okay, this is getting with the times. This is listening to the voices that are speaking. But then there's still this number of niche people that get so fired up over, well, you're erasing the history and you're taking away from the ethos of Cleveland baseball. And and I just can't buy into that because you're right. If the Indians change the team name to, let's go back to the Spiders just for sake of conversation, people, like you said, are going to flood into their local sports shop and buy Spiders hats and Spiders t-shirts and nobody's going to really protest, lack of better word, the name change. Which leads me to ask and get your thoughts on why do people get so fired up over change? Why are people so adamantly against, there's a small group, but why are people so adamantly against changing the Redskins nickname, changing the Indians nickname, or even like you mentioned, the Tomahawk Chop, maybe getting rid of that? You know, it's a troubling question uh, in some ways because the answer is troubling. Uh, How much of our society is still racist? Um, We don't need to go into politics, but we know what is happening at the White House, the President of the United States, and his racism. It's just a fact. Whatever you think of him, it's just a fact over the last, you know, as we speak, the last few days. Um, Anyone defending the Confederate flag, it's just it's just appalling. I mean, I grew up in Toledo. <laughs> We're the North. Mm-hmm. The South lost. Uh, we never understood the Confederate flag. And, and anyone who knows my dad, who was Mr. Republican in Toledo, and uh, Lucas County Republican Chairman George H.W. Bush's uh, vice chair in Ohio in 88, Rock Rib Republican Jim Brennan. That's the family I grew up in, and that was my whole heritage as well. And, you know, obviously we thought the Confederate flag was terrible, and we thought racism was terrible. And... Um, I don't get it. I don't get it, but it's there's something going on in this country that is frankly appalling. Uh, I'm a sports journalist, but I'm also an American, and I, I don't mind saying it. And if someone's listening to us and, and they're going, well, I kind of, you know, I kind of like the Confederate flag, well, then examine why. And uh, and and you might, I don't know what the answer is going to be for, for that person, but uh, we it, we should say it from 2016 through now. Nazism and racism and sexism, everything is just awful and should not be accepted. And instead, it has been let out from the basement into our world. So, you know, are some of these people also inspired by by that? Um, Do they want to hold on to something from the past because they don't like the future? You know, in what, another, what, 20 years or so, we are going to become a majority minority population in in the United States. We're almost there. In other words, that a majority of our population will be minorities. Mm-hmm. And so if you are um, threatened by that, which I'm not, I welcome that. Um, but if you are, and I'm not, of course, I'm not saying you, but if, if people in general are worried about that, then I guess they want to hold on to the past. And maybe that's what explaining all of this is. They don't like uh, other people taking charge or whatever. I don't know. I, I'd love to hear why. A rational answer why you can possibly support the Confederate flag or that there are fine people on both sides at a Nazi rally 
because they're not. Um, and my dad raced to the end of <laughs> uh, Corey raced into Europe at the end of World War uh, to get to Europe at the end of World War II after one year of college so that he could fight the Nazis. So, I, I, and I, it's a broader answer because it's it's truly a troubling question and answer why why now if they're not and I'm sure many of them would say I'm not racist I just love the name the R word. <laughs> well. If we could all get together and have a conversation about that, I, I'd love to ask a few questions. Like, okay, would let's let's go. Let's take another color. Let's take, and I don't even want to say these words because they're so reprehensible. But let's mm-hmm. let could we name a team if we, if it in fact is the red, and then we know the next part of the word. Um, could we change the color, and mm-hmm. could we use the color black? Of course not, right? Reprehensible. Mm-hmm. Right. So it just makes it, I just did my best to not even say it because it's so repulsive to me. Um, would they allow that? Would that be OK for a team? Now, they would say in return, because I've heard every argument, because, again, I've been talking one of zillions of things I discuss. Hardly I've written way more columns on Tiger Woods or about the Olympics than I have about this. But it's been mm-hmm. a topic that is certainly something I know about and have researched very, very strongly uh, the Washington NFL team name. And and. Um, you know they'll they'll say back, but this is the name. Even Roger Goodell, I I had him at Northwest, my alma mater, Northwestern. We had him there and uh, for a press conference kind of thing with students, and I moderated and I asked him about the name, and he said it's the name, it's a tradition, it's honoring the team. So everyone, that's what the fallback was for a long, long time. And you know I followed up with him on a question back again in 2015 on this, and then we moved on to another topic. But they that's what they said. But you can't not honoring the team. It, that was never the intent of George Preston Marshall, who was the last owner, NFL owner, to integrate his team. He was forced to do it by the government in 1962. The history is there. So that's the history we're looking at, not the history of, uh, of integration or, or uh, inclusion. So, you know, I think, I think that that's probably what people say. Um, by the way, you're not getting rid of the history. I mean, how many times have sports fans talked about the Boston Braves? Mm-hmm. or the old St. Louis Browns, or the St. Louis Cardinals football team. You hear that, you know, of course, when, you know, before the Cardinals moved to Arizona, they were the St. Louis Cardinals. You know, bef- you know, way back in the past, it was, the, you know, the Boston Braves, Babe Ruth. You know what I'm saying? These are names. These, we're not going to wipe the names out. They're not going to not exist anymore in history. They're going to be on the Internet. They're part of our history. They're part of the statistics of whatever era so Cleveland Indians, you know, if it ends this year or next year, then it will be a Cleveland whatever, as you said. Uh, too bad we already have a Lakers, you know, uh, L.A. Lakers, which makes no sense because it was Minnesota Lakers um, mm-hmm. with all the lakes in Minnesota because, of course, like the Lake Erie connection would be great for Cleveland. But um, anyway, the bottom line is that then it will move on. But it, we don't wipe it out like these Confederate statues. They're not – I mean, I guess some have been semi-destroyed. But the ones who are being taken down properly – they're going to go into museums. They're not going to be thrown away. And that's exactly where they belong. And I, I do not understand. And again, my background is not is not a liberal background at all. And pe- most people who know me know that. I just don't understand that the march of history is being lost on people. Uh, and last little point, I've, I've been on some panels with Native leaders uh, at Northwestern and in Washington about this, the name and the broader issues, and you wouldn't believe, maybe you would, the conversations from Native leaders, Native American, I believe it's best to say Native now, Native leaders, and they would talk about their childhood 
and they would talk about Halloween and seeing all these people, sometimes their neighbors, uh, but Caucasian, um, you know, uh, European Americans, dressing up like them and making basically making fun of them. Can you imagine if you're, if you're a parent, think of a child having to look at that and having to be mocked in that manner. That alone, as as good Americans, should bother us enough to say, "Wait a minute here." It is demeaning. It is awful, and it's it's absolutely repulsive that we would do that. And believe me, in Washington, when I covered that team at RFK Stadium and it was rocking, the number of men in headdress, feathers, war paint on their on their uh, on their faces, uh, the whole getup, the band would have the people jumping around on the field dressed up as raging, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote Indians in the cowboy and Indian vein. Oh my gosh. Now, we didn't think about it back in the 80s, but now uh, a society evolves. And we should be smarter. Everyone, we should be smarter. And uh, we should accept change, welcome it. Uh, it's not political correctness, as my dad would say. It, was, it is correct. It's not the politically correct thing to do. It is the correct thing to do. No politics involved. Just simply the march of time to be more inclusive of all of our fellow Americans, including the Native population. I remember being in Cleveland for the 2016 World Series. You mentioned how Washington NFL fans dress up in the headgear and face paint and clothing. I saw that exact same stuff in downtown Cleveland before the Indians and the Cubs kicked off the World Series for Game 1. I don't know if it's a tone-deaf application. I don't know if it's just the sense of go team, if that makes sense. If, If people are truly fans of the organization then I would think that whether they're called in Cleveland, whether they're called the Indians or the Spiders or the Rockers or the Guardians, whatever it is, then I feel like the fans would still find ways to get behind them. Now, you mentioned maybe trying to keep politics a little bit out of this, but it's kind of hard to when the president himself has been addressing all this stuff, whether it's back in 2016 with Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the national anthem or now with Bubba Wallace, you bring up the flag, and I'm really glad you did, with Bubba Wallace and NASCAR and his plight to get rid of the Confederate flag, which NASCAR did, and we saw the incident with the noose found in Bubba Wallace's garage at a race that he didn't discover and he didn't report. It was shown to him. The other day now, we have President Trump tweeting about NASCAR ratings and about how Bubba Wallace should apologize to drivers. What do you make of the president's influence on this kind of stuff, on these topics? And do you feel like there's more to do from the political leaders regarding race and sports? The president's influence is waning. It has become almost negligible. Uh, where he used to have the bully pulpit or the bully Twitter account to, uh, to really scare people, like the NFL with Kaepernick. Um, that's gone. It's gone. Uh, NASCAR almost immediately after Trump tried that stunt the other day uh, with the with the tweet, uh, the racist tweet, absolutely racist, um, and also incorrect tweet because NASCAR ratings are up. <laughs> so he got it like all wrong. Uh, it, it, to think that this is the president of the United States and that we're even discussing this is just it's just surreal and as I said, appalling. We should shout it from the rooftops every day as good Americans. Um, uh, and, and people who care about our country. Um, but I think that he, you know, it's, he's, he's wrong. Uh, fans are flocking to it. 
and he's lost. He's losing the argument. He's lost the argument, and he's hanging on to this. I don't know what for to appeal to a, a ever shrinking base. I guess I don't know what he's got up his sleeve for November third. Maybe he knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows that the country, the the awful this awful underbelly of our of our country, which. I, I don't believe is a majority, not even all. And I think even people who might believe this are good, can be good people that just need to get their act together and stop listening to this. I, I don't know. I don't know. Or talk to their children or grandchildren. Um, they could be good about it. Um, uh, even though, again, if you're, if you're a Nazi, you're not good. Uh, if you're racist, mm-hmm. you're not good. Uh, if you're sexist and misogynistic, you're not good. Um, you've got to stop that uh, right now. But, but I think, so going back to, to Trump and this little this history. First of all, we never have I've covered a lot of presidents. I've been at the White House a lot. Fortunately, I've been very lucky to go to White House ceremonies and White House events involving sports and Title IX and other things. And I've met our presidents. And of course, with my dad, I, I met Joe Ford and Jimmy Carter, who happened to be in town, even though obviously he was a Democrat. Um, uh, my dad took me to that, and uh, other my, that was my dad too. He was like, "We're going to meet everyone, and you know, we're not we're not going to be." Uh, just focusing on the Republicans. Uh, if there's someone in town, we're meeting them and we deal. You know, they work together. My dad and Marcy Kaptur worked together for years o- across the aisles for the betterment of Toledo. Um, and uh, Marcy Kaptur, to this day, if I run into her at the airport or something, she's, we spend 20 minutes talking about my dad. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty cool. And the Democrat and the Republican working together. But, um, you know, Trump was basically um, – uh, so we've never seen anything quite like this. But Trump goes after athletes. Trump goes after after things and makes them political. And this is his playbook. So as we know, so it was in the 2017 September 2017, the Alabama Senate primary, that Alabama Senate race, uh, where you had a, a man with unbelievable, uh, what was, I forget his name now, but the sexual um, the man with the sexual abuse of girls in his past, Roy Moore, I think his name was, uh, and um, Anyway, and Doug Jones uh, was able to, mm-hmm. to beat him. But Trump's down there, and that's where he unleashed that you've got to fire the SOBs, right? If anyone kneels, you fire the SOBs. And he did that to a roaring crowd, Corey. He did that to, to fire up that Alabama uh, Senate race. I was actually, mm-hmm. I worked for CNN as well. And I was at CNN, and I was going to talk, uh, I was in the green room, and I was going to talk uh, about some other topics. And all of a sudden, we heard that, and we all agreed, this is the topic. And by that Sunday, it was a Friday night, by Sunday, um, you had so many players in the NFL kneeling because everyone was so outraged by what Trump did, SOBs, they're calling uh, these black men SOBs, and um, mostly black, obviously, uh, African-American men, so uh, the football players. Anyhow, this is what's going on. Uh, Trump is doing this, and he's using it to rile up his base, and he keeps going and going and going with it. And the NFL was cowed, I do believe, uh, you've got owners who have given millions to Trump, at least 10 NFL owners, including Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder. And, and so they're listening to Trump, and he's the president. Why wouldn't you listen to him? I mean, even though it's, it's, you should have a brain that says that's awful and I shouldn't listen to that. But anyhow, so you go through that, that for several weeks and months that carries on. Nike has an ad campaign in 2018, and it's Colin Kaepernick. And it's uh, a commercial that was highly regarded, and it was T-shirts and hats and all kinds of other stuff, and it sold out. And all of a sudden, Donald Trump was quiet about Colin Kaepernick because his, you know, what we all love in this country, many of us, capitalism, obviously we all should, capitalism, all of a sudden it showed up Trump. He was wrong. 
people wanted to buy the Kaepernick stuff. It was a business decision. And so Trump now is quieted on this topic because he has nothing more to say. And who's buying the stuff? Again, if you own a business, if anyone owns a business, you're thinking, obviously, of today, but you're also thinking of the future. What's your future uh, customer base, right? What's your future untapped market? And what we saw with those with that Colin Kaepernick campaign to buy the Kaepernick gear and stuff and watch it and all the clicks on the Internet and Twitter and all that, what we saw was that young people couldn't get enough of Kaepernick. So even if their parents or their grandparents might have disagreed with them on Kaepernick and the kneeling, even though it's peaceful protest, and, and obviously we now see the NFL's apologized to them and, and everything has come full circle, Kaepernick was right, 100% right. Too bad he wasn't in the NFL to help, help make change and have that platform two or three years ago. That would have been very powerful for the NFL and our country had he been a part of an NFL team and had that platform. Anyway, um, what we then, of course, saw with with Kaepernick is that he's able to say these things and the young people who are buying the jerseys and the and the and the t-shirts well they're in their 20s or 30s let's say maybe teens even teens 20 30 that's your future fan base for the next 50 to 60 years long after the grandparents are gone and long after the parents are gone long after the angry people who are all jazzed up when they hear the SOB line from Trump they're going to be all long gone Hope everyone lives forever, but they won't. And uh, who's going to be around for the next 50 years as your potential season ticket holders? But those young people buying the Kaepernick stuff, and that's that's when I, I actually was shocked at that point that that Kaepernick was then not signed at some point because my God, you're bringing people out of retirement. Jay Cutler was retired, and he's being signed by an NFL team. You know what I mean? And people said, well, Kaepernick's not showing interest. Well, you couldn't show any less interest <laughs> than Jay Cutler being retired. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, obviously, you you have to use your brain and say he was blackballed and he was just, um, you know, just clearly they didn't want him. But what a shame and what a missed opportunity. But, again, these owners were afraid of him. To your point in the question you asked him an hour and a half ago, <laughs> sorry, but uh, these are very complex issues and questions that deserve, a, I believe, a, a full um, uh, conversation about them. So what happens with Kaepernick and with, with everything moving forward is that, Trump voice is diminished. I mean, he still has it. He's still, you know, blaring and, uh, from the White House on Twitter. But who's who's paying attention? I mean, the NFL has now apologized to Kaepernick. Trump didn't like that. The NFL didn't care. NASCAR has taken Bubba Wallace's side time and time again uh, for the president to say that Bubba Wallace needs to apologize. Let's look at the facts here. The noose was found not by Bubba Wallace, but by someone else, was reported the NASCAR was the ones that wanted to investigate it. They said it was a news. The FBI said it was a news. The good news was it was there. For, the bad news is it was there for a long. What is a news ever doing hanging in any garage uh, at Talladega or anywhere else? But the good news, it wasn't there specifically for Bubba because Bubba Wallace, because of course he uh, they didn't know that would be his garage. Everything about what Trump tweeted was wrong, a hundred percent wrong. And yet he's just blaring and blaring, and now no one's paying attention, or fewer are paying attention. Obviously, as a president, you have to pay attention news-wise. You have to mm-hmm. report what the president says. But um, but in NASCAR came rushing to the defense of Bubba. Bubba's answer was beautiful about love, and you ignore hate even if it comes from the president. Uh, what a wonder! Who's the leader in this situation, Corey? Uh, Bubba Wallace is acting like the leader, not Donald mm-hmm. Trump. 
and he's showing the president of the United States a thing or two about humanity um, and um, why the president is not focused entirely on the 130,000 poor souls who've, who we've lost due to coronavirus. I do not know. Um, but why he is doing this, it's just, as I said, it's appalling and um, it's a shame. And it's, I don't even recognize that this would be a president doing this. Um, but here we are. And I'm a realist, so this is where we are. But I do think that his his influence is, is waning. We have now seen the nation turn. And this has happened so quickly. Uh, it truly has. Um, where you've got watching the, the Twitter feeds and the Instagram feeds of, of young women athletes got one in our family uh, of friends I know and family members um, who are, are, are great athletes, all of them on their Twitter feeds, the black box for Black Lives Matter. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone did that. that. A year ago, that would not have happened. But everyone's doing it. And in a suburban kid, uh, young men and women uh, who are not black, who, who are not people of color, who are standing up finally uh, for, their, for their friends and their teammates and what have you. And the kneeling during the national anthem at the women's soccer, we're going to see kneeling. If we have sports this fall, we're going to see kneeling everywhere. We're going to see whole teams kneeling in the NFL and all that. So Trump has lost that. It's, it's gone. It's like it's, he's trying to grab something back that he just can't get back. And um, uh, I guess that's the despair that we see in his tweets and the anger. Um, but, um, no, his influence is waning. It it's, it's, looks like it's gone in that area, completely gone. You bring up the, a big word. It's it's a big, small word that seems to get lost in the shuffle often anymore, and that's fact. you got to look at all the facts. You've got to look at whether it's the Colin Kaepernick situation or the NFL situation where Roger Goodell has, lack of a better term, defied President Trump's requests in the past of now the NFL teams and the players are – going to be allowed to voice their opinions and protest silently and, and peacefully if they want to and kneel for the national anthem. And y- you said it yourself, the president's words are starting to wane on previously contentious issues that a lot of people may have debated as, okay, he might have a point here, but now there's just no, it's all baseless opinion that he's spewing out. And now we're looking towards moving towards a society that's more welcoming and that's more diverse and that is, put it plainly, not racist. So I'm really glad that you brought up the the prospects of the NFL and what they plan on doing because that's also what I wanted to talk to you about was the NFL's plans to, once they do get back to playing, how do they handle this? Because there are players that are going to want to peacefully protest and there are players that want to kneel. And Roger Goodell has said, and Goodell and Trump have been close before, but now Roger Goodell is saying he would welcome that. So I feel like the big shift, the big tectonic plate moving here would be when the NFL resumes play. Well, exactly. Although even if college, and again, if, 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 with the coronavirus, who knows? Um, Major League Baseball will have the anthem, presumably. Uh, The NBA, I mean, I, I think we'll see almost everyone kneel. Uh, we've already seen it. The women's soccer, if anyone hasn't seen it, just Google uh, the NWSL. And that first weekend in particular where they played the national anthem, uh, all the players kneeling, maybe one was standing. And then uh, this wonderful scene where uh, one of the players, Julie Ertz, actually one of the stars of the U.S. women's national team, um, she's hugging one of her teammates who's, who's up. They're both kneeling. And her African-American teammate, her black teammate, is crying. 
and during the anthem, and she's got her arm around her, and it's just touching and beautiful. Um, and Black Lives Matter t-shirts, and, and the WNBA is going to have uh, the names of, of women who have been killed by the police um, uh, on their jerseys. I mean, <laughs> we're past kneeling, you know what I mean? We're, we're way past kneeling. Um, this is something, again, that anyone, if there is someone who loves Trump listening to us right now, I would say to you, do you realize how much the country has changed? And if you're smart, why haven't you realized how much the country is changing? It's the march of history. Demographics are our are, are DNA. Demographics give us the answer of what the future looks like. And what has happened, it's accelerated, frankly, since Memorial Day, since the, uh, the murder of George Floyd, um, just the awful, awful video. And by the way, the juxtaposition of of the police officer in Minnesota with his knee on George Floyd's neck. And then, of course, the pictures of Colin Kaepernick kneeling a few years ago, that both a knee and how one is so peaceful, the other is is, is death uh, and so violent, so uh, awful. You know, it, that's kind of interesting, too, if you think about it. But, um, yeah, for that person who doesn't understand this, look around you. Look at the young people. That's your answer. Look at all those people in 2018 who bought all the Colin Kaepernick stuff. So you don't understand that, but that's the answer. Um, the money talks thing, the, the consumer, uh, as what they want, that's what America was founded on in terms of our business acumen. And so I, I must admit I do not understand the person who is fighting this versus going along with this. This goes back to every question you've asked me. And again, the question of why, why you wouldn't want Indians changed, why you wouldn't want to get rid of the tomahawk chop, which is just, to me, it's so repulsive, so oh, just awful. Um, and of course, the Washington NFL name. So I, I just I just think we're going to see this everywhere. I mean, we already saw it with the Women's Soccer League. We, we, the NBA guaranteed. Now, the question is, will they play the anthem? See, there's one another way that we, a couple of years ago we were all saying this. Why don't you just – the old days, the NFL did not play the anthem. Or they played the anthem while the teams were still in the locker room, and that's a way to avoid the problem. It may be a little bit of a, of a you know, punting on the issue, but it does give you that, that option to just not have the players on the field during that time. But um, the uh, Major League Baseball has been different. They did not have the kneeling that the NFL had with Kaepernick uh, a few years ago. MLB has far fewer people of color, but I, I would be shocked if we don't see kneeling now because it's just become so pervasive. And it, it truly has become something that's in every suburban household with every girl and boy talking about this to their parents. How, how can you not? So first of all, what is it going to look like? I hope we have sports, but right now we have a far bigger issue, and that is coronavirus as it's just exploding in these spots that, that opened up too soon. I know Ohio is coming back. I've so very, very fortunate to live in Washington, D.C., or Washington, Northern Virginia, and Maryland. Governor Larry Hogan in Maryland is a Republican, but a, a non-Trump Republican. You've got a wonderful leader. You've got uh, Dr. Ralph Northam, scandal-ridden over the blackface thing, which was terrible, but a doctor. He's the governor of Virginia, and he is making the right. You see, Virginia is one of those very few states, at least as we speak, that is stable. And Maryland, and then D.C. also, uh, Muriel Bowser, the, the mayor of, of D.C., who's just stuck at the Trump left and right and, and uh, has really stuck up for D.C. and is a great leader in Washington. So you throw all that together, and we, we're seeing that 
you know, there's been, of course, New York, <laughs> New Jersey, Connecticut, as we know, don't are going to make people quarantine from, I think, what, 30 some states, 18 states, whatever, after quarantine mm-hmm. for two weeks. I don't know, you know, what is going on in Arizona? What an embarrassment. Uh, leadership there, um, Florida, Texas. We got to get that in order or we're not going to enforce it all. So there's mm-hmm. that first and foremost, and people are losing their lives. But if we get to sports, knees, protests, absolutely, to people taking knees, it will be uh, omnipresent. I, ca- I cannot imagine it would be any other way than that. We're just scratching the surface on a lot of stuff, whether it is the protesting in sports and the movement that is going to continue to bring equality into this nation and, again, in the sports world. And you mentioned the coronavirus pandemic, and I've already kept you like double the time that I asked of you, so my apologies for that. But I, I would be remiss to stop a great conversation. No problem. I'm the one I think that's causing the trouble in terms of the length. <laughs> no, you're okay. It's a little more no. editing, but I don't mind. Please. So, no, as I said, they're complex issues, but uh, I also think it's important to really, really talk them out and, and spend the time on them. But please, yes, go ahead. <laughs> 100%. I completely agree with you. But um, you mentioned the coronavirus pandemic and how the sports world has began to come back. Golf is back. We've seen soccer around the world and the NWSL get back to play. Here in Toledo, we're expecting the the LPGA Drive-On Championship and the Marathon LPGA Classic. Now baseball's back in camp. My thinking is I understand there's business, and I understand there's money to be made and there's money to be salvaged in some cases. But you've seen these players now, and we've seen these players now, speak about the inside of okay, they're at the camps, they're getting tested, whether it's daily, every other day, what have you. There's still that very real aspect of players could be exposed, they have families that are, you know, that are going to be exposed down the road, and there's some of these players that are having newborn kids and that have young infants and that have young children to think about. My, my thinking is, is this fair to athletes to try to pedal sports back right now. What do you think about that? It, it is a wonderful thought and uh, to have the escape that sports gives us. That's, that's what sports is, has always been to so many, including me. You know, growing up, as I said, in Toledo, loving the Toledo Mud Hens, keeping score of an entire season of Toledo Mud Hens games when I was 10 years old off the radio. My dad taught me how to keep score of baseball and I was listening. I do my homework, but I'd sit there on the couch and just listen to the game and keep score off the radio. I dare say not only was probably no girl in America doing that in, in the late sixties, probably no boy in America was doing that in the late sixties and I was. So there's no one who understands the joy and the value of the escape of sports more than I. And we had Mud Hen season tickets. We had Toledo Rockets season tickets, 35-0. and 0. Chuck Ely, my dear friend to this day, uh, just couldn't wait for those games. We had season tickets in Ann Arbor. Uh, my dad was the Pied Piper with season tickets and taking us kids and our friends. Uh, we're going to Michigan games and then Toledo games. And, and went, you know, and when we went to a city, went to a game, you know, Chicago White Sox, uh, San Francisco uh, Giants, you know, well, you name it. So I love it. I love sports. I love the escape of it. And I'm saying that. Because I do believe that we, we need the escape, the, especially at a time like this. We, we really do want to have something else to look at. I mean, just to turn on a baseball game. I, there have been times uh, where I might be, we sort of, I've not been inside for restaurants, but sit outside in D.C. Everyone wears masks all the time. And, um, you know, and you kind of go, oh, 
you know, it'd be fun to check your phone and check what the national score is right now, right? No, no, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so there, you know, there's a, a sadness involved with that. And as I said, family members who play sports, uh, kids, youth sports, high school sports, are they going to be able to play this fall? That, I hope so. And and if they don't, I'll you know I'll be sad for them. Um, so so that that goes without saying. But wow, I mean, we, this is a pandemic, and people are dying, and. You know, one of the huge issues is testing, and if we're going to test every uh, NBA and, and NHL and Major League Baseball and NFL player and have the, the amount of testing in the labs to run the tests, right, and give the results, are we taking away from any of our hospitals or any of the drive-throughs around the country where their lines are long and they run out of tests and we're supposed to have all? Didn't Trump say months ago we're going to have everyone's going to be tested? And that is so not true, and it's just such a failing. And, and such a uh, awful. I wanted, of course, it to be true, and, and it's just so um, so awful for our country the failure of leadership here. And so, you know, those things. As much as I love sports and want them back, and of course I also cover sports. Now I cover sports as culture, so this has been a. I would never wish for this four months, but this has been a fascinating four months for me as a journalist. But I would never, ever, ever wish for this. Uh, heartbreaking and horrifying for all those high school seniors and college seniors and kids who lost their opportunity to play sports in the spring and NCAA men's and women's tournament basketball and kids who had the lead in the high school play and, you know, in the musical, all those things, horrible. So I never wish for this. But it's been fascinating, and it's it's been exciting. As a journalist, uh, again, I would never, ever wish for it, but the, I shouldn't say exciting. It has been so interesting, and I feel our job is so important as a journalist now. Um but I wish we didn't have any of this, of course. I think I've made that crystal clear. I want to just make it clear so no one misinterprets what I'm saying. Um, the news and the issues are so important to discuss. That being said, you know, I wish we could just get rid of all of it and have sports. I would love to have games to cover again and, and issues around sports. Uh, but we're not there yet. And um, we'll see. I hope, hope, hope that we can get sports going uh, and get them going safely. But at what cost, at what risk to the players? Uh, to not even so much the young athletes in college who probably should be okay. What about all the uh, assistant coaches who might have some conditions, might be have pre-existing conditions or be in some way compromised, uh, maybe heavy sets? What ha- I think a key question that I wrote a column a week or so ago, how many deaths and illnesses and hospitalizations are we willing to accept as a nation to have our football? Wow. You know, will we get to the point where, you know, uh, a college loses their assistant, uh, one of, you know, their offensive line coach who's in his 60s because he got, he got, you know, COVID-19 and dies from it. I'm just saying this. I hope I'm wrong, of course. And, uh, and we have, you know, a moment of silence and then we just kick off again. Right. What about if, if an umpire gets it? And umpires are in better shape these days than they used to be, but, uh, how in the world is it? Are there not going to be deaths if we bring back sports? And how many are we comfortable with? Deaths, hospitalization, illness, etc. And that's a question uh, for us as a society. We may be, well be comfortable with plenty of deaths. It's a horrifying thing to say, isn't it? But but we accept. Um, well, I think four or five years ago there were five or six uh, high school uh, boys who were killed in football. You know, heat related or head injuries within a few week period. I remember doing some work for ABC News on that. Um, so we accepted that, 
Uh, it was terrible, but we accepted it. We we took it in stride and kept going as a nation, loving college or loving high school football. So will we do that with college football and pro football and volleyball and and track and field and or cross country in the fall and and um, field hockey and and you name it, soccer, you know, men's and women's soccer. Well, is that is that okay, or is it not okay? And the money is so extraordinary um, for these colleges if we don't have football in the fall. Mm-hmm. It is a mess. It is an absolute mess, and I understand every side of it. But I do believe that these are issues that we cannot rush into. We cannot rush into. And spectatorless sports is the answer right now. But even then, we're seeing the troubles with uh, with NBA teams having to shut down practices, Major League Baseball having to shut down practices. Uh, we know the bubble in in the NBA in Orlando at Disney World. The bubble will be a bubble, except that all the hotel workers will go home every night. So that's really not a bubble. Mm-hmm. Because then they're delivering room service and they're cleaning rooms and all the people that are working wonderful heroic efforts to work and try to give us our sports and give us that escape and that wonderful you know, couple hours of enjoyment every night or during the day. Um, those people are working hard for that, but they're going to go home and then do what if someone in the family has it and they bring it back into a bubble for one of the NBA teams or several of the NBA teams and what happens then? And so the NBA led the way. Back on March 11th, the NBA, uh, we all remember where we were when we saw the alert on our phones around uh, 9 o'clock or so Eastern time. The NBA was shutting down operations. Shocking. I think it was the seminal moment of the entire shutdown of the nation. As Trump was calling it a hoax, the NBA led the way. The sports were our North Star and saying, no, we cannot continue. And that was that night, uh, March 11th. So the NBA now is going to lead the way back. But what are the parameters? We knew the parameters on March 11th. One positive test, Rudy Gobert, done. And there was a second one right then, too. Done. The NBA shut down. But what are the parameters coming forward? And those are such important issues. And um, we really haven't even grappled with them. But I certainly hope, (laughs) as someone who's a positive person, I hope we can resolve it and get young kids playing sports again safely and having our college and pro sports back safely. I don't know when that will be. It would be great if it's this fall, but the numbers around the country certainly uh, lend us to be doubtful of that or at least questioning that at this point. And as a journalist, facts are facts. There are no alternative facts. There's one set of facts. And facts are this, these, and the numbers are extraordinary right now, and it's very scary. And for anyone who's lost a loved one, um, you just feel for them. It's heartbreaking. Uh, and anyone who's sick right now, um, just heartbreaking. And those are the issues that have to supersede even sports and even our love of sports and that hope for the escape that I have as much as anyone does. That's so daunting to think about, the, that point you raise about how many deaths are we willing to accept as the cost to get sports back? I mean, seriously, those that are listening right now, I hope that question resonated because I think as an at-risk person, because I am, I I deal with heart issues and I've dealt with it my whole life and it's, you know, you you play ball with it. So as an at-risk person, I'm also quicker to react towards something like this. So I have been holed up in my apartment out here in Sylvania and there's been times I've had to travel back to Youngstown to, to do stuff for family, but that's also a very minimal risk kind of avenue. I know I'm not the only person in this world that has underlying health issues. You raised that question, and I and I sat on it, and I thought about it for a few seconds, and they're making these choices, and people are still like, why are you doing this? You know, they're, they're so 
you know, whether it's David Price with the Dodgers and Dodgers fans are, oh, you were going to pitch this year and be great for us and back Clayton Kershaw. Like, yeah, that's the gamesmanship part. But there's still a very realistic portion to this that I think people are missing the mark on. It's almost sad to think that we have to accept a death toll as a caveat to get sports back. That's so scary to think. Well, it is like now. If we have a vaccine, then it will change everything, or treatments, right? We don't mm-hmm. have a vaccine for AIDS and HIV, but we have treatment. So, you know, Magic Johnson is alive 30 years later, um, which we never would have, you know, and, and so many AIDS patients. So if you have a treatment, you can move forward. And you, if you have, of course, a vaccine, then you can, of course, definitely move forward. So we need to get that there. Um, before then, it's, it's a bit of a roll of the dice. And uh, for all the, the precautions you can take, I mean, football is, of course, the the antithesis of social distancing. I mm-hmm. love football. I, I love college football. I, 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 you know, I go to Northwestern games, my alma mater. I, I go to Northwestern bowl games, which we never would have thought we could even say that sentence when I was in college. And, um, you know, so I, I'm all for it. But football is absolutely, you're in huddles, you're breathing on each other, even if you're wearing masks. I mean, just the practices, the meetings on the sideline during games, I, the whole thing. It's just um, I, I, maybe they can all wear shields um, in addition to some kind of face mask shield. But, um, yeah, I don't know. And some of these other sports I think are less troublesome but still have issues. So, um, again, I think until we get a vaccine or treatments, uh, a treatment or multiple treatments, and we're, we're getting there. I mean, this is a moonshot for the world, right? This is not just the U.S. trying to get to the moon. Uh, in the 1960s, as John Kennedy wanted us to do, and we did with Neil Armstrong from Wapakoneta, Ohio, uh, in July of 69. No, this is um, this is a moonshot for the world. So everyone's working. That's the positive, is that you look at that and say, we've got scientists and researchers from around the world who are just going for it. But we, unfortunately, with with not having the White House briefings anymore, we're not hearing the science and the math, the, the medical uh, issues, I guess math too, but the the science every day that we should be hearing. And um, so the United States has always been the leader in that. Now, unfortunately, we're not even allowed to go to Europe. So it's, um, you know, thankfully the world is, is together on this and the U.S. and these great researchers and leaders at our universities are on it. But we have to get there. And before that, yes, it is a roll of the dice. There's no doubt about it. Um, and uh, that's why I wrote the column I wrote a week or two. Folks can find it on my Twitter feed at cbrennansports. Uh probably down a little ways now. But uh, yeah, how many deaths, illnesses, hospitalizations are we willing to accept to have our football? And uh, that truly is the question until we have a vaccine or a or several or one very reliable treatment. And, um, and I hope that's very, very soon. <laughs> We're all hoping it's very, very soon. I think there's a lot of wishful thinking and a lot of people trying to manifest destiny around it. And, uh, you mentioned it earlier with fact. We have to face facts, and the facts are that we as a society are nowhere near the end of the road when it comes to even the surge in coronavirus cases. We're still seeing that consistently spike up. Now with the 4th of July in the rear view and with protests in the rear view and even going far back to, say, Memorial Day in the rear view, we're seeing those cases go back up and... I'm as big of a sports junkie as anybody else, and I'm craving baseball like no other, but there's got to be the right time and the right place for it. And 
I'm just hopeful that if they are going to start and if things are going to work out, then they can become as safe as possible. I mean, we're already seeing players test positive, and uh, you don't get good feelings when you hear about this kind of stuff, when players test positive and now they're putting their families at risk. So, um, but, but, Christine, we appreciate all of the thoughts that you had to share with us around this stuff, and there's so much we could keep going for you know another hour on this, but... There are so many issues that I think now are being brought to a bigger light that need to be discussed. And I've said long in doing this podcast that I'd never want to be ignorant to the world around us and what's going on. And certainly what's going on right now is not live sports. It's the discussions of racial injustice around them and the discussions of morality and the, and the, and the discussions of is this the right timing for sports to get back. So your words mean more than you probably think to us and we really do appreciate it. And thank you so much for the time you gave us. Well, Corey, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, uh, obviously for you stay healthy and well, and uh, of course, and to everyone listening. Um, and also just a quick note about the blade. Uh, blade gave me my start. Uh, I was an intern the summer of 78 and summer of 79. That was in sports in 79. And I realized that, uh, you know, how much I loved being in the sports department. The Blade launched me, helped launch me into the career of my dreams, uh, a life of adventure where I've really never worked a day in my life because I get to do what I love. And so um, the Blade has always been very, very important to me um, way back when, when they uh, I had those two summer internships that, that helped me uh, decide that I wanted to be a journalist and, and embark on this, uh, just, as I said, the career of my dreams. So thank you so much. Always an honor. And uh, let's talk again soon, Corey. 100%. See, all those times you spent documenting Mud Hens games, they weren't for nothing, after all. No, I love covering the Mud Hens. After being a fan and, and then to be in that press box, was, even though it was a small little press box out of the Lucas County Rec Center, it was still the coolest thing to me. And, and the U.S. Open um, was at Inverness in 1979, Hale Irwin, the Hinkle Tree. And I literally went in there. I had an in, uh, a press pass to write a, a feature one day, and I went in and looked at all the names of the rows of journalists in the press room. They weren't even in there yet. And looked at all those names, and of course, I've been so fortunate now to cover so many Masters and U.S. Opens, British Opens, uh, all of them, and PGA Championship, LPGA, et cetera. And I, anytime I, I see my name on, you know, on the uh, it's, uh, on the press row, and I smile at what uh, what what was I twenty twenty one year old me would have thought of that that uh, I was looking at all the other names, colleagues, and some. Dear friends, uh, to this day, Tom Boswell, uh, Dan Jenkins passed away last year, but so many. And now uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough and honored to be among them and have my name on the on press row as well. It's a pretty cool thought. I've, I haven't lost sight of that all these years later. I don't think that's something you could lose sight of either. That's that's truly remarkable. Christine, thanks again for the time this week, and thank you for the knowledge and the insight. We really do appreciate it once again. Oh, my pleasure, Corey. Stay well, stay healthy. Good luck to you. Thanks so much. Take care. One hour of absolutely scintillating sports conversation. My thanks again goes to Christine Brennan, a Blade alumna herself, and we are very excited to welcome her back in for the podcast. Topics that need to be discussed and thankfully have been accelerated lately over the national scale. And again, we thank Christine for the absolutely perfect one hour of sports conversation that she shared with us. And I thank you for listening to this episode number 38 of Glass City Game Time. If you enjoyed the show or want to go back, 
and listen to previous episodes of the podcast series, there are multiple ways to do so. You can find us every week on ToledoBlade.com, on Blade News Slide, and on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Just search Glass City Game Time and you will find us. We greatly appreciate it if you would like and share this episode. And if you haven't yet, please consider subscribing. That goes a lot further than you might think. So, for Christine Brennan, my name is Corey Prisson. Thank you for listening to Glass City Game Time, and I'll talk to you next week.